All right, well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Um, before we get into our time in the Word this morning, a couple quick announcements about the coming Christmas season. A uh, couple things. You know that uh, we've made some announcements about doing our Advent countdown. And uh, if you don't know what that is, last year, for the last 12 days leading up to Christmas, we had uh, 12 different people put together some kind of Christmas video. It could be a song, a craft, a Christmas recipe, something like that, um, to help us celebrate the Christmas season. Because if you remember, last year, we couldn't see each other in person. And so we would have one person doing some kind of Christmas video and one person sharing a devotional from one of the verses about the birth of Jesus. And so we did that um, all of last year. And so we still are, this year, we're trying to do a video for every day of the month of December, which means... We need more people and more help. And so if that's something you'd be interested in, please uh, let me know and we can get you signed up. Um, if you go to our YouTube, uh, our YouTube channel, you can see, uh, Jared should be up there, right? Uh, all of last year's, it's unlisted. Okay, maybe we'll post it at some point so you could get an example of it. Um, but that's, if you are interested in signing up, um, please let us know. Also, if you've already signed up, and you would like some help in filming it in a semi, but more than semi-professional way, let us know, and Jeremiah can help you, um, because uh, um, he's, the, he's the expert when it comes to the, the videography and stuff like that. And so um, if you need some help just to kind of enhance what we might do, just let us know, and we'd be happy to help with that. Um, one other date for you guys to uh, mark on your calendars, December 18th, we will be having our Christmas celebration um, here at church Saturday night at 7.30 in person. Um, it'll also be streamed over Zoom for people who uh, want to join in um, over, the, over the internet, but it will be fantastic to be able to celebrate Christmas together as a church um, the way we normally do. We couldn't do it last year. We had to do the whole thing on Zoom, right? And so um, December 18th, 7.30, there will be more announcements going out about that. But um, for some of the stuff that uh, we have coming up to celebrate the Christmas holidays together, we just wanted to make you aware of all of that. Um, if you are just joining us, we have been doing a sermon series through the book of First Kings. Um, it's probably not the most well-known um, part of the Bible. And as we started chapter 12 last week, Daniel introduced us to a couple new characters who have similar names, but it's probably the part of the first King story where even if you've grown up going to church, this is probably where you stopped reading. If you've been reading in the Bible, you know who Samuel is, you know who David is, the story of David and Goliath. You might even know about Solomon and the building of the temple. These are some of the more major characters, but we're going to look at two very interesting characters today um, that we may not know that much about, but I actually think are very important for us as we consider what God's word is trying to teach us from the book of 1 Kings. Even the name of 1 Kings, like the, the word king is there. And so it talks about leadership and authority and what that looked like um, in the history of God's people. Now, I've shared with you guys before, I was a history major in college. I mean, I didn't study that hard, but, you know, in theory, I know a lot of history. But, but there's multiple versions of this quote that you've probably heard. Like, it's attributed to a couple different people in history. Churchill's one of them. But there's a couple different versions of, maybe you've heard this before, those who forget history are condemned to repeat it. Have you heard something like that? I see a few nods. The rest of you are like, Dan, stop being such a history nerd. Like, what's, what's wrong with you? But I really think that's the amazing blessing that we have from seeing the history of God's people, even the very broken parts. Because, spoiler alert, today's message and next week's message, these are not very joyful, happy, positive passages but I think they're so important for us to understand more of who God is and how that might be of great use for us in our lives as we get to experience a relationship with the living God. And so if the name of the book, Kings, gives you this idea of leadership, a king is someone who is in great authority and power, some kind of leader, um, I was thinking about leaders that have influenced my life this week. And um, I remember when I was in fourth grade in elementary school, we got a brand new principal. Now, if you're in elementary school, you probably don't really pay attention to or care that much about who the principal is. 
unless you're in trouble all the time, it probably doesn't matter, right? But I do remember when I was in fourth grade, I started serving on student council or like the student leadership where the principal would help us make decisions for our school and help kind of guide us um, as students to be leaders in our schools. And we could see from this new principal when she came in, when I was in fourth grade, so I had two years with her, fourth grade and fifth grade, there was something very different about her. Like she was more personable to us as students she tried to get to know us in ways where I thought, like normally when you're in elementary school, you're like, I don't want to know the principal. If I know the principal, that means it's more likely I'm going to get in trouble or like they're going to catch me if I'm doing something bad. But there was something, um, there were things that were really different about her that I thought were very interesting. And she stepped into a very challenging school without going into all the details. The elementary school that I went to um, she really, when she came in, we had a, even in elementary school, this sounds crazy, but we had a pretty bad kind of racial and also like socioeconomic divide that was kind of turning into a pretty big issue within the school. And so she had all these ideas of how we could be more active in our school, how the students could take more ownership of it, but she also had a pretty big job dealing with how do we deal with like, like, you know, students fighting each other because they look different than each other, or like one has more, one comes from a background that's much, much more wealthier than another. She had some really big problems to kind of address when she came in as a principal that really, like, I think she tried to deal with, but really never got solved. And that's kind of the tone that you see in the book of First Kings. God's people, after experiencing a brief period of like prosperity, they are now spiraling into a pretty bad place. And what, uh, what kind of leadership would arise during this time is a big issue in this passage. And so we're going to look at three characters in our passage today. And so um, we're going to see, uh, let's see, um, actually before I introduce the characters, let's do a little bit of review just so we remember the context. Um, where we have been in First Kings up to this point. Um, we've seen the establishment of peace in the nation of Israel. Uh, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, God's people, they had gone through all kinds of stuff up to this point when you get to the book of 1 Kings. You know, there's the creation story, there's Noah and the ark, there's the, the slavery in Egypt, Moses bringing God's people out of slavery, and then God's people turning to worship idols and turning away from God. There have been cycles of like high points and low points, and we have just actually witnessed one of the highest points in the history of God's people when they built the big, beautiful temple that King Solomon built. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And so the reason they could not build this temple was for a while, they were, uh, God's people were um, so subject to the violence from neighboring countries that would come in and be a threat to them that it took a long time through the kingship of David um, to be able to establish peace in Israel, to be able to build a temple where it wouldn't just get destroyed right away, right? And so it was really a big deal that God had led his people to a place where after cycles and cycles of all kinds of just being subject to foreign nations where they were dominated by other people groups um, to finally be able to build God's temple and have this big, beautiful, established place to worship God. But we've also, we also saw that towards the end of Solomon's life, we saw that even though God had blessed him and had been leading him and Solomon had been operating by God's wisdom, as Solomon gets into his old age, he marries many foreign wives and he starts compromising and not only being devoted to the God of Israel, but being influenced by all these other gods around him. And that leads him into unfaithfulness in a lot of ways. And a couple weeks ago, Daniel talked to us about Proverbs 4.23, the importance of guarding our hearts and keeping our hearts and worshiping God alone. Now that has not happened at this point um, in Israel. So even though they have achieved this really high point, we are now back on the downward spiral again. And as God's people try to pick up the pieces and try to figure out how do we live life at this point um, in the story, we're going to see three uh, characters that we want to look at. And so um, these are the three characters we're going to look at. They have similar names. I always get confused. Like, I love, if you can't tell, it's like, I'm like, 
I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a Bible nerd. That's way more Daniel. Like, Daniel's a Bible nerd for sure. You guys all know that. But, like, I'm, like, an Old Testament history kind of nerd. So, like, I don't know. I For some reason, I get excited about this kind of stuff. Maybe it's the history major in me. But for me, even though I know a lot of the stories really well, or I was the one in Sunday school, like, you know, trying to get all the stickers and answering all the questions and knowing all the stories, like, here's where I get, I get like, confused. And so we need to have a good, firm grasp of who the characters are if we're going to allow God's word to speak to us um, through our passage today. So we're going to look at uh, Rehoboam. And uh, Daniel described him last week as the one who's trying to decide um, Israel's future. He is the son of King Solomon. And uh, you kind of get this picture of him as the uncertain politician um, in, in these chapters that we've started last week and that we're going to keep on reading today. And then you see Jeroboam. This is why it gets confusing. The names end the same, but they're different. And uh, he is going to be a very different type of leader. Um, you could call him an innovator in a lot of ways, but what we're going to see is it's not, it's not for good reason and not for good purposes. And finally, the third character that we want to think about is not, uh, not, a, uh, not a human person, but what is God doing in the midst of this? So God is the third character that we're going to look at in this section today. So those are the three characters we're going to take a look at. And where we left off last week, in 1 Kings chapter 12, 15, it says this, and this will kind of lead into where we're going today. It says, so the king did not listen to the people. This king is referring to Rehoboam, the first character we're going to look at. Um, the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word which the Lord spoke by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. All right, now, um, this is an important verse that we are going to finish with, but where we left off last week was Daniel was saying, where we're at in the book is that now God's people, as a punishment from turning away from him, are now experiencing the consequences of what it looks like not to involve God in their society, in their decision-making, in their own lives. And everything that we're going to see today from the first two characters is pretty negative. And it gets worse. Like, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But fortunately, the blessing that we have as people who are learning about God's word today, we have the whole story where we get to see why there's purpose and why God is doing what he's doing. And so even though there are a lot of broken decisions being made by these different leaders, God is in control, and he's doing it for a reason. Now, for us as humans, when God does something in our lives that we have a hard time understanding, and for those of you who are a part of our church, you know we have had more than our fair share of tragedies in this last season, and it's been tough. And we often ask ourselves the question, like, God, what, why would you do what you're doing? And many times we have to wait a long time for the answer. And so I hope that by the end of this message, we can look back at this passage and see God did have a reason for doing the things that he's doing here. And it's painful in the moment, but it's a truth that we can learn about God being the sovereign judge, being the best kind of leader, the best kind of king that we could ask for. And so hopefully we can see that um, by the end of uh, our time in the word today. So first, let's look at Rehoboam, the uncertain politician. Um, in verse 15, it said the king did not listen to his people. And so uh, if you remember last week, Rehoboam is Solomon's son. Because of Solomon's unfaithfulness, God has taken a good number of the, a good portion of the kingdom of Israel, and he's taken it out of Rehoboam's control, and Israel is now divided. There are two leaders, the two we're going to look at, Rehoboam, the son of King Solomon, and Jeroboam. We'll talk more about who Jeroboam was in a moment. But if you remember last week, Rehoboam, as now, he's got some big shoes to fill. Even though things were going badly for Solomon by the end, if you know this, like, who Solomon is from the perspective of the Bible, he's often called the wisest man who ever lived. Now imagine being his son who has to follow in his footsteps and learn how to govern after Solomon was the king that actually built the only temple that Israel had up to this point because in the wisdom that God gave him, he was able to bring Israel, he was able to experience the peace that Israel was in and put work everything together to have a thriving society with good relationships where the temple could be built. And so imagine being his son 
And now after your father has passed over the kingship to you and having to be in a position of leadership, and he, you can imagine he really wants to you know, live up to his father's legacy. And what did we see in last week's passage? He takes advice about how he should kind of proceed as king. He listens to, Daniel called it this, I thought it was genius, but Daniel called it the boomers versus the zoomers conversation. And what that meant was like you had the elders of Israel, who he called the boomers, giving their perspective about what kind of leader he should be. They said, you should listen to the people and be their servant, and then you will win their approval, and then that's where, how people will see you as a good king. But the Zoomers, those young people, you know, with uh, like their minds on like achievement and accomplishment, they were saying, no, look, you need to work the people even harder than your father did. We need to be that much more successful as a society. You have to make them work hard so we might be able to continue this like period of like dominance over other nations around us. So there was this clash of input coming from these two people groups. And so that's where we left off. And where we're going to pick up today is now we're going to see we're going to see some of the fallout from what Rehoboam is going through as he's listening to the people to try to figure out how do we proceed. So let's pick up in chapter 12, verse 16. Now that we've understood some of the backdrop to what's going on, um, let's see what happens now that uh, Rehoboam has... Um, what, what we'll see here, what I forgot to mention, is that he listens to the younger people. You saw that last week. He puts more pressure on the people to work hard, to produce. And this is where we're at in verse 16. When all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster, over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. So, Rehoboam decides, I'm going to work my people even harder. We're going to achieve great things, hopefully things that are just as great as what it was like in my father's kingdom. And he sends this message out. We're going to work hard. We're going to, we're going to earn all of these things for ourselves. And the people say, no, I'm not going to do that. And then what's the first thing that happens when he sends, his, uh, when he sends this man, Adoram, uh, out to be the taskmaster to divide up the labor? What do they do? They kill him. And it shows that uh, like in, this, in this moment where he has a key decision to make, where he puts all this pressure on the people, his leadership ends up in unrest where people are not happy to the point where, I mean, this sounds like a lot of rebellions or coups we might see in our world when there's some kind of dictator and people are not okay with it and they want to overthrow the leadership, right? Um, important to note in verse 16 when it says, all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them. Certainly he did listen to the younger members who were saying, no, work the people hard. The phrase all Israel there is pointing to the elders, the boomers as Daniel called them, um, because they saw themselves as the voice of all the people. So it's not literally saying this is all the people, but it's an important way to see that the elders represented a good portion of people's kind of ideas and like uh, values for how they hoped their kingdom would kind of progress. And Rehoboam has not listened to them. And the result is backlash within his kingdom, right? And so um, it's interesting because I mentioned my elementary school principal. And she was a great leader. And one of her moves that she wanted to make was to hear more voices from the students that were a part of the student council. And I think she went into that with very good intentions, bless her heart. But try to get a bunch of fourth and fifth graders who all have their own ideas in how the school should be kind of run or led to try to work together. And I think what she found out was it was going to be a lot more challenging for her to get this group of student leaders to work together. And even though it was a good idea where it made her seem much more approachable to us, that she would want to listen to our voices, in the end, it proved to be of much greater challenge for her to try to get things to work out. And this just shows really how hard leadership of people in our world is. If you pay attention to politics at all, 
especially in the last election cycle, um, and even in the times leading up to that, now with the presence of social media where anyone can voice their political opinion like on social media like very easily, there are millions and millions of ideas and it's seemingly a lot of unrest. And it's a hard thing. So Rehoboam was in a difficult position. He was the son of his father who was super successful. Most of the kingdom was being torn away from him. And so now he's trying to figure out how do I best make a decision for the future of the people I'm in charge of to try to make things work for us as a nation. And this is the first thing that happens. He makes a decision and people rebel. They kill one of his leaders. And so what we see here is the challenge of what's going on at the outset of Rehoboam's kind of leadership. And this is interesting because you can see how political like his, his position is. Like he's listening, he's taking advice from both sides, he's weighing it, and then he makes a decision. But here's the thing about leading people in our world. Like has politics ever perfectly satisfied any of us? <laughs> wow, I didn't expect an audible answer, but we heard one and I think it's the right one, so that's great. It's true, when we think about the amount of debate that we see in the news or different ideas that are out there, it is such a challenging thing. Now, the biggest failure you could say of Rehoboam is he's weighing the input from the boomers, the elders, and the Zoomers, the young people. But what neither one of them kind of offered in their suggestions was what they thought God might want them to do. There was the elders who said, represent the people. And you could argue maybe they would have a closer idea of what God might want for Israel. But in both cases, they are both presenting their human ideas of what would they think would be best for Israel. And that's where the backdrop of this is so important, where this is a cycle where God is showing Israel what will happen because King Solomon, before he passed the leadership on, had stopped walking with the Lord, had stopped seeking God's wisdom. And what this shows us is there are all kinds of human ideas that we can have, but he can't make each group happy. Any, even the best politicians that we have cannot make every person happy. At, like, if you make a decision, you are always going to run the risk of alienating some people and causing some backlash, and that's what happened for Rehoboam. And so you see that in his, in his youth, in his inexperience in trying to start this kingdom, he turns to different people to listen to their voices, and he's very concerned with, okay, how do I make the best decision? And it backfires on him. And so what do the people do? They rebel. And so um, this is interesting because then when we get to verse 20, that kind of introduces us to the next character we want to look at. So we've seen Rehoboam. He's in a tough place. His dad was like known as the wisest person in the land, and he's got big shoes to fill. And then he tries to make a decision out of leadership, and it backfires, and there is unrest amongst the people of Israel. So what happens when there is a leader that makes a bad decision that kind of affects a lot of people, very naturally, as humans, we say, well, maybe another leader, maybe there's a better leader that we can turn to that might help us. And what we're going to see is as they do this, as God's people do this, it actually gets worse. And so in verse 20, after we see this, uh, after we see all the details that happened uh, in the early stages of Rehoboam's leadership, it says this, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. And so after this unrest that comes from Rehoboam's leadership, people turned to Jeroboam to see maybe this guy has the answers. It didn't work out with Rehoboam. Um, so maybe there were many people within the nation of Israel that thought maybe this guy is a different kind of leader. Now, what we've seen previously in 1 Kings, I don't remember if we mentioned it in our sermon series or not. If we didn't, it's okay, because I'll, I'll, I'll share the, the context. But Jeroboam was one of the four men in Israel under Solomon. He had a good reputation. Um, but eventually, uh, he shipped out to Egypt for a while during the transition of the kingship from Solomon to Rehoboam. And so when things are going badly, a lot of people are saying, hey, remember this good leader that we had? Like, maybe if we put him in control, maybe like that will be good for us as a nation. And what we're going to see is that ends up being perhaps the biggest disaster for his followers and for God's people at this time. 
So we've seen a, a picture of Rehoboam, the uncertain politician, the one who's trying to like, meet the needs of the people. Now, Jeroboam is an innovator, um, but we're going to see not the good kind. And so in this really kind of chaotic situation that God's people are in, um, this is what we see happen, starting in verse 25. It says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. Um, these are important verses of context. So I just had us read verse 20. And people, there were many people who knew who Jeroboam was. He had a good reputation. And so people wanted to see if we put him into leadership, maybe he's the one who's going to lead us. Verse 26, we may not catch this perfectly, but what he is worried about is people not supporting him and going back to Rehoboam to be their leader. I mean, this is the problem. Can you imagine, just for a second, if like in the United States of America, we had two presidents? Like what that would be like? And we've often seen that with the, you know, we've seen that when people feel a great amount of dis, like, disinterest uh, in government when their candidate that they want to win doesn't win, and people like want to hold tight to their ideals. Um, it's a very, very challenging thing. And if we could imagine how bad that would be for our country, because I think it would be, um, this is what the nation of Israel is dealing with at this time, people supporting different leaders. And you see with Jeroboam, even for him, one who is very popular with the people, he's worried, I'm going to lose my influence. And so he makes a series of decisions to try to earn the favor of the people. Because he's concerned about when he says in 26, the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. That is referring to Rehoboam because he's the son of Solomon. He is a relative of David. So he doesn't want to lose this power. So what does he do? We see this starting in verse 27. It says, if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Now, the temple, the big, beautiful temple, had been built in Jerusalem. And so for, in order for us to understand what's going on here, we have to do some geography. I'm also a huge geography nerd. If you're not, then bear with us, because this stuff is important, even if it seems, uh, maybe seems uninteresting. Like, I, when I was a kid, like, anyone watch the show, like, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? It's like, I'm showing my age here. Oh, man, okay. Some, some young people know it. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm excited now for a second. But anyway, this is the geography that really matters. Jerusalem, if it's kind of in a, a location where people would come to to be able to worship in the temple and make sacrifices in the temple, as were a lot of the traditions within Israel, uh, Bethel is just to the north of Jerusalem. And then Dan is way up further north. And so what this meant is now like Jeroboam is thinking if people go to Jerusalem where Rehoboam is at, like that's kind of his like territory of like of uh, influence. If people go there, they might not want to come back. They might see like that's the center of worship and they might be influenced in some way and I might lose some of my power. So what does he do? He creates alternate locations to be able to worship at. Now, for some people, they might have thought, wow, my commute just got shorter. Like, look at, the, look at the convenience of this. I don't have to go all the way down to Jerusalem. Like, they didn't have the carpool lane back then, guys. I mean, like, they're traveling by camel. It would take days and weeks to be able to get to the place where you would have to go to make your sacrifices and to worship. And so for some people, this must have been a big deal where they thought, okay, there's all this chaos going on. And we see the proactivity of Jeroboam in creating these things that makes it easier for us to be able to worship God. Some big problems with this. If you know anything about the history of God's people, golden calves would not be the way to do it. If you know the story of God's people being in the wilderness, when Moses goes up to, to communicate with God, he comes back down the hill and he sees that his brother has made a golden calf for people to worship. They were waiting for Moses to come back with instructions from God, and they got tired of waiting. And so Moses' brother made this golden calf that they treated as their God. One of the biggest distinctions of the God of Israel 
that made him different than all of the other worshipped beings in this time and in this general location is that there was no image of God. He wasn't in a type of animal, as you saw, the statues in a lot of foreign lands. And even when they built the temple, they had the Ark of the Covenant carrying the law, the, the law of, of Moses, the Ten Commandments, into the center of the temple, the Holy of Holies. But there was no visual picture of God. Because God, being the Lord of the universe, the, God, the one true God of Israel, he was not going to be defined by some kind of image. People would view him as the God of this universe. They would see the ways he was faithful to him, but he wouldn't be defined in an image. And so the fact that this golden calf was built hundreds of years before it happens again here, and not just once, but twice, would be a huge deal um, to the nation of Israel, and not in a good way. It would be a way, and really what we see here is in Jeroboam's decision-making and in his innovation as a leader, he is infusing his own ideas into what it means to worship God. And that is extremely dangerous from the position of power that he's in. God was like, we might not understand this because we're like Asian American, it's 2021, so we don't get the cultural context, but this would be the worst thing you could do as someone that's a part of God's people back in the Old Testament times, to bow down to a image, a graven image. Why? It's an image that's carved by man. The God of the universe was not meant to be captured in a form like that humans could think of. Because here's the subtle thing that we don't realize. When we start to infuse our own ideas into how to worship God, then how do we know that we're worshiping God fully? How do we not know that our own human ideas that might, that uh, not might, I mean, we could say might, but that are always have some form of sin or self-interest in them. How could we include that in the worship of God? And that's what was happening for God's people here. So Jeroboam makes a decision that gets people to follow him. But uh, to this day, um, there, I didn't know this until we were meeting to kind of discuss this passage with uh, Daniel's dad. He helps us prepare for our sermons. He said, yeah, Jeroboam was pretty bad, so bad that he actually had a sin named after him. Like, I know in my own life there's a lot of sinful things that are not good, but I'm thankful there isn't a sin named after me. But there is, like, if you Google the sin of Jeroboam, it's there, and you can read about what's happening here. And now it was bad enough that Rehoboam, like in his like uncertainty as a politician, was leaning on human understanding and not the wisdom of God that he would have had access to. But what we see here is it is, it is far worse what Jeroboam is doing to be able to infuse his own ideas into how to worship God and get people to follow along with that. Um, without being too judgmental, uh, hopefully, in a week where there has been all kinds of big news in the tech world um, and in companies that may or may not have changed names and things that we see in the news. It makes me so skeptical of the, like, we have to ask, when it comes to innovation, there is so much good. I'm thankful for those of you, I'm trying to look into the camera right now, those of you joining us on Zoom, um, because this is a hybrid service, I'm so thankful that we have the technology to be able to worship God together in this way. But we always have to ask ourselves when it comes to innovation, to what end? Like, what's the goal? And when I think about our world and all of the inventions and all of the technology, I'm not saying technology is bad. This is what we've been discussing in our Wednesday night Bible studies, our young adult group at Vertigo, right? And we'll continue to over the next couple weeks. God has given us the blessing of technology that we can use for good. But usually, like when it comes to achievement and innovation in our world, there are always dollar signs behind it, or there are always like likes or social currency behind it. It's either actual money or it's influence that people are always after. And as much as I would love to give people in our world the benefit of the doubt, we can see if we knew how companies were formed in our world, gosh, I think we would be alarmed. And that is because as humans, it is so tempting for us to infuse our own ideas into what we think is right or wrong. When God had given Israel his law, God had given Israel the, the guidelines for how to live in relationship with him and with one another, 
the law that Israel continued to turn away from over and over and over again. And so um, in our passage, it describes what Jeroboam did, these innovations of different locations of worship. And um, as we go on, we're going to see he starts, he, he doesn't just stop there, but he, add, he continues to add to it. But the author of 1 Kings calls it a sin. We see this in verse 30. It says, Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one, one speaking of the two golden calves. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the 15th day in the eighth month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. So in his leadership and newfound influence, Jeroboam creates these two idols, these things that were not meant to be worshipped in any way that people were bowing down to. But he doesn't stop there. Now, um, we may not know all of the cultural significance in what we see here. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to kind of summarize it. But the importance of the priest coming from the line of Levi, we've seen that God has his reasons for why, like he would have certain, like why he wanted Israel to be set apart from other people groups. It is not because God is racist or trying to like exclude other people. Actually, the Old Testament, I would argue, says the opposite. But the whole point of Israel being pure and abiding by God's wisdom was so that people could see that the nation was set apart. And so now, but Jeroboam is not worried about uh, God's design for the leadership of the temple. Um, of course not, because he's made up his own worship places at this point. And then he goes on to change around some of the details of the feasts and the sacrifices that would have been really important for the worship of God's people. I'm so glad we live in the New Testament, because I can't keep track of all the sacrifices they had to give. Like, praise God that we live in a time where Jesus has changed so many things. Like, that's a big picture theological thing for us. But um, So we don't have to keep track of all that. Um, but the fact that he was changing around the dates and the times and the names and these things that are going on shows he's really going far down the rabbit hole now in like really creating his own system of worship. Like imagine for a second if like, you know, Daniel and I said, hey guys, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but you know, we don't want to wait until like, you know, there's like all the Christmas traffic. So we're just going to move up Christmas to be like October 15th. That way we have Christmas to ourselves and we can just celebrate it. Like things will be cheaper. All the Christmas decorations, like they won't have raised the prices yet. Like imagine if that happened. Like now again, the, the, date of when Jesus was born is a separate subject that we don't, don't have to go into right now, but uh, that's not the point. This would be such a huge deal for the people of God to be like following one person who is arbitrarily making up where they worship and how they worship and what the details are. And that's a very scary thing. And, and the author said, the author describes this as something that became sin because people are spiraling further and further out of control in how they are trying to connect with God. Um, there's a very famous verse in Matthew, uh, Matthew 18. And um, uh, having Greg as the, you know, my youth leader when I was in youth group for many years, he always said this was a very scary verse to him. And as the one who oversees our youth group, it's a scary verse for me as well. But in Matthew 18, Jesus says this, he says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And what Jeroboam is doing here is he is using his position of influence to get people to change how they worship based on decisions that he is making as a human arbitrarily. Like the system of worship had been set up the way it was by God, given to God's people as a, what was meant to be a blessing for how God's people could function in society and enjoy their relationship with him and enjoy their relationship with one another. And yet Jeroboam is leading people astray. It's a sobering verse because as leaders, and I'm not just saying this for myself as just one person, but I praise God that we have good leaders in our church. I'm thankful for the Vertigo leaders meetings that we have. 
I'm thankful for the youth counselors we have in our church. I'm thankful for the watchman group that we have combined with the Chinese side to make decisions together as a group. And with leadership, though, comes like such a cliche, but it comes great responsibility. You are in a place where you have to decide how do we lead people. And sadly, in our world, there are people with very natural leadership gifts um, who have their own personal agenda the way Jeroboam did. Because remember, the whole point of this is he doesn't want to lose his power. He, he wants to increase in power, so Rehoboam isn't, isn't a threat to him. Like That was the whole kind of uh, backdrop to like the ancient Near East at this time. And so he's driven by that. That's why he's making up all these dangerous things. And so I'm thankful that I can be surrounded by leaders in our church where hopefully we're not going to make any decision without prayer, without asking, what would God have us do? And to see how God would be the one who would help lead us and guide us. And that brings us to the last character that we want to look at. And it shows us that Rehoboam, um, we've seen, was the uncertain politician, and we've seen the self-seeking innovator, Jeroboam. But I think this section really describes God as the sovereign judge. And um, I think uh, verse 15, which we started off, well, I'll come back to that in a moment. But contrary to these characters that we've seen, God wasn't seeking the popular opinion, the way Rehoboam was, taking input from both sides and deciding which, which, which one am I going to lean on. God wasn't being guided by innovation the way that Jeroboam was, coming up with new ideas. But the interesting thing about why Israel was in this position to begin with, why all the chaos, it was because people had ignored God's wisdom. And if you remember, when Solomon had this dream as he was beginning his rule, before he built the temple, before he was able to bring Israel to a place of peace, he has this dream where he gets to interact with God and ask God for wisdom. And this is what God, God says to Solomon in that dream at the outset of Solomon's reign. This is in 1 Kings 3.14. We read over this not too long ago. And God had said to him, if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Now, fast forward to the next couple chapters. The temple was built. We saw how big and beautiful it was. If you were an Israelite, just a couple generations before this, you would never in your wildest dreams have thought our nation would have peace and security enough to build a temple like this. And it shows that God is faithful to his promises. Like God had promised David, David who had his own checkered past, but had his heart set on wanting to worship God and wanting to build a temple. And God said, I'm not going to build it through you. You've been a man of war, securing peace for the people of Israel, but I will build it through your son. And one generation later, you see the biggest, most beautiful, most decadent temple that was able to be built. And it shows how God was faithful to his promise to his people. But we have to learn, what we have to learn about God is that it can't only work one way. We can't only view God as saying, like, oh, when God is faithful to his promise and he gives us something good, like good by our definition, then we can think, oh, yes, God is good and he's worthy of our worship. But what we see here is God in allowing all of this chaos to happen. He is showing this is what happens when you don't seek my wisdom. When you don't seek my guidance, chaos happens. And we see this in our world. The more we like, try to live life based on our human wisdom, we never know when it's infused with our own self-seeking tendencies. That's what it's like to be human. And that's why it's such a blessing that we have the wisdom of God. But when we choose to ignore it, this is what the world looks like. It's not that hard for us to imagine it because we can see it on the internet every day. This is the chaos that our world lives in. Now, if God had made this promise to Solomon where he said, if you will walk in my ways, then I will bless you. Long will be your days. If God doesn't keep his promise on the other end of the bargain, then it seems like an empty threat. What motivation would people have to be able to listen to him? And that was the interesting thing about my elementary school principal. Like, I don't say this to like, speak ill of her. Because she walked into a situation that probably I would think maybe like 99% of elementary school principals would not be able to fix. That's kind of how bad our school setting was at that time. 
she made a number of amazing improvements in trying to like gain more influence or more like students to gain a, a bigger voice and how the school would be like led and things that we could do so the students could feel involved. But what we really needed in that moment was someone who could sit all the people down who were involved in a lot of the conflict and say, hey, this like ethnic problem that's going on in our school, this class-based problem that's going in our school, like we need to address this because if we don't, this is the chaos that we'll continue to go into. And that's what elementary school was like for me. Now there was a lot of good things and like, you know, when you're in fifth grade, you're like, you're not worried about the big picture things. You're like, when's recess? Who's on my kickball team? Like, you know, those are the things you're worried about. But what we needed in that moment was a stronger leader to be able to say, hey, this is the problem. This is the wisdom that is meant to address it. And God is exerting that role over his people at this time. Because as we've seen in the Old Testament, God's people experience this amazing period of blessing on occasion. And then immediately contentment sits in and they go back to following worldly wisdom or worse, foreign idols. And the cycle just continues and continues. This is where the big picture of what it means to know God's word is really important for us. Because like, as bad, as, as bad and as chaotic as it is for God's people here, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Like, if you know Old Testament history, like, this is not a movie. We're not, trying to we're not trying to worry about spoilers, but it gets worse. God's people lose control of their kingdom altogether, and they get exiled to foreign nations. And what that led to was such a longing in God's people for a savior, for Jesus to one day come. And I'm thankful that we here in 2021, we can look at the history of God's people. We can see where did they go wrong? They inserted all their own ideas in how to worship. They wanted to follow their own ideas. They wanted to follow popular human ideas and forgot about the wisdom of God. We have the blessing of hindsight to be able to go and read God's word and see this is where God's people went wrong. This is what it looks like when my life is not governed by the wisdom of God. And the point of this is not to, uh, like, the point of me sharing about my um, elementary school principal is not to, like, speak ill of her. Honestly, I thought she did an amazing job. And I said, like, she walked into a situation where it was probably beyond the help of any, like, earthly leader. And that's one of the points of the books of Kings. You see leaders rise and fall. Even the good ones have their very broken moments. You see that in David. You see it in Solomon. But perhaps the biggest message of the book of Kings is for us to see that really in all of the inadequacies that you see in human kings, does it create a longing in people for the one true king who is the best ruler, who has the best kind of wisdom, who is faithful to all his promises, even when it's a period of prosperity, or when we need to learn the hard lessons of discipline and what it looks like to lose everything in order to say, I need to turn my heart and my worship back towards God. And that's really the heart of the message of Kings. And that's where I'm glad we are able to read through God's word and see this and see that when Jesus came, he was a very different kind of king. He would listen to people and understand people but he wouldn't allow people to affect what his message was about the kingdom of God. He wouldn't seek how to do things out of earthly convenience or out of earthly wisdom, but he would lean on the wisdom of his heavenly father. But if you want a very different picture of wisdom and what it means to impact like our world, imagine what it would look like to die on the cross. Say, this is the example I am going to set of what it means to be a loving God, a loving heavenly father, where I'm going to make everything right, not by exerting my own power and influence by saying everyone else is subject to me, but to subject myself to them, to lay my life down on the cross and to be crucified, to take on the sins of this whole world and to show a very different kind of leadership. Man, we've been through all kinds of crazy stuff during the pandemic. 
And what I've learned is the more time I sit in front of my computer, the more YouTube rabbit holes I go down, the more like ways that I have time to myself to think about things, it is so easy for me to develop my own ideas of like what is good, what is best, what is right, what is wrong. And we see that in a lot of like in a lot of the arguments that you'll see in comments sections. Like the, the time that we've had, the, the abnormal amount of time that we've had to ourselves ha can very dangerously foster this idea that we think we know what's best. But may we not lose sight of the wisdom that comes from knowing God. Wisdom that Solomon put into practice for a season, and you saw what, just how amazing it was for the people of Israel. Now, we want to be careful here, and we want to say, just because if we live our lives trying to seek God's wisdom, it doesn't mean that we're going to be blessed in the way that Solomon did like financially. That's not the point. But the idea is that when we are at a loss for wisdom, at a, a loss for like how to guide our lives, do we trust that God knows how to lead us and will give us the best answers that we could ever experience? It may not look like a cookie cutter Silicon Valley life. It may look very different. And yet the wisdom of God, I think, is so important for us during this really uncertain time where it is so easy for us to get our own ideas to like start to see how that might affect our worship. Can we, use, and can we use this time that is so uncertain, brings about a lot of anxieties in us, to cling to the wisdom that God has given us through his word and to see how that might really bless our lives? I think that's a huge benefit that we have from being able to look at the history of God's people and to see how do we not repeat the same patterns that they experienced in their lives. The amazing thing about God that we'll see throughout the rest of the Old Testament is how gracious he is in bringing Jesus to this earth. And when we lose our way, like God is gracious and he will, he will, like, he will always, he's always willing to forgive us just as we sang in that song. A broken heart and a contrite spirit you have yet to deny. But God can't take us back if we're not willing to receive his wisdom and being able to experience like the, some of the hard truths that we have to see. And in his infinite wisdom, God knows when to be a God of blessing and when his people need to be caught by attention to turn their hearts back towards him. And so we're going to see some of the further consequences of how bad this gets next week. And so... Uh, the next section honestly isn't that much different than today's. This is kind of like part one of what we see in the chaos that exists when we choose to, when God's people choose to ignore the wisdom of God. And I hope that we can see the blessing that we have, that we have a very different type of king, a very different type of leader, one that would lay his life down, that we can worship and that we can turn to his word to lead and guide us in the uncertain days that we live in. So I pray that we would be thankful for this wisdom. It might seem so different culturally. It might seem like it goes over our heads in a lot of ways, but I promise you, it's so important for us to take seriously the wisdom of God. And when we see the consequences of what this leads to in the society um, of God's people at this time next week, hopefully it furthers this idea that we are so blessed to be able to live our lives by God's wisdom and not to be swayed by all of the voices of this world. And so I pray that that would take root in our hearts, that we would see the blessings of God's wisdom that we have. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we know there are harsh truths that we have to learn uh, to experience pain when we turn away and to see how you, a gracious and loving Heavenly Father, might receive us back in the moments where we realize God, that we need you, that you are God, that we are man, we are sinful, we are broken, we are self-interested, and God, we need you to lead and guide us. God, I, I just pray, Lord, um, heavy as this message is, that we would see the truth that's there and that it would set us free. God, that we wouldn't feel, that we wouldn't be looking for all the answers in our world in a political candidate or in some charismatic leader that we think has all the answers, but that we could see that there's this God of this universe who loves us, who wants to be involved in our lives, who wants to lead us and guide us through all the things that we experience in our lives. And Lord, we thank you for the blessing of being able to hear from your word um, to lead us and to guide us into truth. So we thank you for this time. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.